There's, there's this couple we know in uh, Dallas, uh, Eddie and Amy. We, uh, we used to meet with them once a week when I was in uh, seminary. Uh, they're people who are blessed with some really challenging kids, uh, especially uh, Eddie Jr. Now, Eddie Jr., um, one day he took his, his toy cars and ran them down the, uh, the, the drain or the, the sewer pipe access and clogged it up. They had to, they had to tear their whole slab floor apart to, uh, to get these... Uh, these cars out of there and unclog the drain. Little Eddie was, uh, he was barred from preschool, I think about two weeks into the, uh, to the term. Uh, it, it seemed like every, every week when we got together with these guys, there was some story about what, what little Eddie did. And <laughs> Eddie, big Eddie, Eddie Sr., Asked little Eddie one day, "Why do you why do you do these things? You you know you're going to get in trouble, you know that's that's a guarantee. Why do you do this?" And and he said, "Well, I know it's wrong. I, I know I'm going to get in trouble, but I can't help it. I know what's right, but I can't do it." And uh, Big Eddie Big Eddie was telling us, he said, "Son, that's that's half the gospel right there." Now, I can relate to that. I can relate to that. I think most of us can. I think most of us know how we should be. We know what's right. And uh, when, we, when we try to do what's right or try not to do what's wrong on our own power, we fail. We ultimately fail. We need help. And, you know, the good news is that we have all the help we need in, in Jesus Christ. Now, last time we, we talked about having the mind of Christ, having the attitude that's in Christ, a, a Christ-like attitude. You know, Jesus went low. He humbled himself. He laid down his rights. He, he became obedient to death, even death on a cross, it says. And therefore, it says that, that God has highly exalted him, you know, giving him a name above all a, uh, names. You know, the, the Lord, our Lord Jesus is the exalted Christ. Worthy of praise and honor. And the way Paul writes, he he doesn't just usually end with something like that. He imagined Paul being pretty excited as he's writing this stuff. You know, just I here's here's some more. I, I've got I've got to add. And that's what he does here. He gives us another therefore. He gives us further implications about what it is to uh, be in Christ. How we should live in a uh, Christ like manner, how we should imitate him. You know, Paul talks elsewhere about being imitators of Christ. He says in Ephesians 5, 1 through 2, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. You know, he even goes as far to say in uh, 1 Corinthians 11, 1, be imitators of me as I imitate Christ. Now, today's text is Philippians 2. We're still in the second chapter, 2, 12 through 18. These, these verses correspond to the uh, previous verses. And I, what I would like to do today is uh, make three points from this, this text. That we need to imitate Christ in his obedience. We need to in, imitate Christ in his attitude. And that his 
affirmation will lead to our affirmation. So there's kind of a parallel between what he said about Christ and what he's saying about us in this section. You know, his, his obedience demands that we be obedient. His attitude is, is one that we need to take on as our own. Read with me, beginning in 12, verse 12. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain, for if I am poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also shall be glad and rejoice with me. Let's, uh, let's pray. Lord, we, uh, we thank you as we uh, look at your word that you have revealed your, your wisdom to us. You've revealed your, yourself to us. So teach us, Lord. Teach us from your word this morning. Open our eyes. Open our hearts. So in these previous verses, in, in speaking of Christ emptying himself, learning to be obedient to the point of death on the cross, we can look at what Jesus said in John six thirty eight about this, about his submission to the Father. He says, For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but to do the will of him who sent me. You know, this, this is obedience. This is something we need to look at. Like Christ, our obedience demands that we do the will of he who sent us. He who has given us a mission as, as his children and as his church. Paul says, whether I'm, whether I'm with you or whether I'm absent, he says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Live an outward life of, of submission and obedience to, to God. You know, when Paul says that believers must work out their salvation, he's not meaning that we should work up our salvation or that we should work for our salvation. What he's saying is that we need to live outwardly what we experience inwardly from him in us, the Holy Spirit. He makes it really clear in his writings that we're saved by grace through faith. It's not our works. We can't save ourselves. Uh, the, the salvation Paul is talking about is not uh, our, our justification where, you know, where, whereby we're declared not guilty on the basis of uh, Jesus Christ's finished work on the cross. You know, salvation is... Uh, Really, in three tenses, it's, it's past, present, and future. Uh, you know, we're, we're saved. We were saved when we believed in Jesus and when we received Him as our Savior for the forgiveness of our sin. He He saved us from the the penalty of sin, 
That's in the past. In the future, we will be saved, it says, when we're, we're freed from this, this present life. You know, as, as the Apostle John says, we, we will be like him. This is, this is the salvation which is called glorification. What Paul is talking about here is our sanctification. We live in the present. Our salvation is in the present. We, as believers, though we've been delivered from the penalty of sin, we need to be delivered from the influence of sin in our lives. We need to be made holy, made, made holy by the work of the Holy Spirit. Paul means here that we should, going back to what he said in an earlier verse, we should live in a manner that's worthy of the gospel of Christ. It's how we live, you know, as we wait for that final affirmation of, of right standing before God in the day of Christ, in the last day. You know, we should, be, we should busy ourselves discerning what is best so that we may be pure and, and blameless until the day of Christ. That's, that's verse 110, if you recall. And he says we're to do this with fear and trembling. You know, this is, this is serious business. Our, our Christianity isn't uh, something to, to take lightly. It's, it's not a game. It's, you know, it's, it's got the uh, gravity that's, that's appropriate to this task of living out the commitment to the gospel in a way that uh, demonstrates that we are genuine believers in, in Jesus. Paul's, Paul's intention here is the same as, as Peter's in 2 Peter 1. One through, or excuse me, one, ten through eleven. Excuse me. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So, being obedient. Doing what's right, uh, submitting to the will of, of the Father in our, in our everyday lives. This isn't easy for us. It's not easy for any, but any of us. It does not come natural. It's, it's not even possible for us to do this on our own. Just like little Eddie, we, we know what's right. We know what's wrong, but we can't help it. We need a Savior. And that's who Jesus is for us. Paul himself agonizes over this when we look at Romans 7. I think many of us are familiar with this passage. Romans seven twenty one through 25, he says, So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand, for I delight in the law of God in my inner being. But I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And then the next verse just rings out in glory. He says, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. That's the key right there. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. When it comes down to it, you know, we don't even have the the will or the desire (laughs) to do what's right. We, We need God. You know, just as our only hope to be saved from our sin and justification, our our only hope for living the Christian life is in Christ. It's in God who 
works in us to give us the will. And once he gives us that will, by his grace, we work to do his will. But we we can't do that very well either. We don't have the wherewithal to actually conduct ourselves properly. It's God at work in us, he says, to do his his. You know, to, to will and to do his uh, his pleasure. So, brothers and sisters, we we don't have bragging rights as as believers. You know, we'd like to take credit for how good we are. We'd like to think that maybe we're better than the other people we see around us, but but we're not. It's God who does it. When my son Matt was in Cub Scouts. There was this uh, event called Pinewood Derby. Now, Pinewood Derby, yeah, I, I see some head shaking there. They, the, we, we had to buy him a little kit. It was a block of wood, four nails, and four wheels. And he was supposed to come up with this, this car that would go faster than any of the other cars and would look cooler than any of the other cars. And I was always kind of torn with this kind of thing, just like a science project. You know how a lot of parents just jump in and do everything for the kid, and then, you know, the kid has really had no part in it. There was this there was this one kid that just brought his block of wood with the wheels on it, and he just he hadn't done anything other than colored it with uh, crayons, you know. But some of the other, some of these other cars were pretty slick. Well, <laughs> I was torn with this. Uh, and I, I wanted it to be Matt's car. I wanted it to be his work. But I didn't want him cutting off his fingers on the uh, the bandsaw. So I, you know, I did the cutting and, you know, I, I showed him how to sand. And that, that held his attention about 10 seconds. You know, sanding is not that interesting. So, you know, I had to, I had to keep on him. I had to make sure he was he was motivated through this this whole process and even when he was done sanding you know I couldn't help it I had to get in there and kind of touch it up and I I had him paint this car by himself but I had to touch it up I had to give him direction you know how to how to paint with the grain and and all this so you know I was very much involved in this process but as much as I could I I wanted this to be his car I wanted it to be his project his work and when we were done with it, you know, he ran upstairs and showed, Mom, show the car to Mom. Mom, this look at the car I made, you know. This, maybe not a perfect analogy, but I think you get the idea. One of, one of the themes in Philippians that, that we've seen several times is, is humility. Uh, we can't compare ourselves to others and say I'm better. You know, it's only it's only by God's grace that we who are who we are. And uh, that leads us to the to the next thing, attitude. Paul said earlier, have this same mind, have the same attitude, which is yours in, in Christ Jesus. You know, this word in the Greek, uh, praneo, means how we think, how we're disposed. You know, our our, our way of thinking, our, our attitude when we look at things need to be like Christ's attitude. Attitude is, is everything for us to shine. That's why I gave this sermon the title, Lights in the World. He starts out with this talk about attitude, 
saying, do all things without grumbling or complaining. Now, that's something we are good at. Do all things without grumbling and complaining. Well, guess what? This is the same all things that Paul, the same word he uses when he says, I can do all things through thing or through him who strengthens me. In that verse, he was talking about having learned to endure hardship with, with contentment. Well, this word translating as grumbling, it, it talks about a kind of a behind-the-scenes murmuring, complaining, you know, talking about your displeasure, secret talk, whispering. You get the idea. John, in John seven twelve, this word is used. It says, there was much grumbling and murmuring or secret discussion about him. Now, when Paul brings this up about do all things without grumbling and complaining, he's alluding to the uh, song of Moses in uh, Exodus 16, where we read about the, uh, the people in the wilderness who were grumbling against God. Remember what they were grumbling about? They were tired of wandering in the wilderness. I, I can't imagine wandering around in the desert for one day, let alone years. But they were... They were sick of this manna that God had provided for them. They, you know, they're remembering how good they had it in Egypt. They had cucumbers and they had melons and, and leeks and never mind that they had to work seven days a week, all day long, sun up to sundown, doing back breaking work, and that God had rescued them from that slavery, that those cucumbers were sounding really good to them. You know, Moses Moses said, they're not grumbling against me, they're grumbling against God. Yeah, they'd been they'd been set free, but they were grumbling and complaining. Peter talks about this, uh, about showing hospitality without without grumbling. In uh first Peter four, nine, three, eleven he says, Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each one has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks is one who speaks the oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and dominion and forever and ever. So we invite somebody over and Did we really do did we really invite him? What are, what are we going to talk about, you know? He's going to eat us out of house and home, you know. We This must have been this must have been a problem. Peter says show hospitality without grumbling. You know, we need to do good without complaining. Do we complain when we do good? Yeah, sometimes we do. Paul talks about uh you know, not growing weary of doing good. You know, do we, do we feel like we're doing good out of obligation? Do we feel like somehow we're, we're pleasing God while we grumble about it? Do we grumble about each other? Do we grumble about our church? Or do we cheerfully seek to serve one another uh, in love? That's grumbling. Disputing. What does that mean? It's a verbal exchange that takes place when conflicting ideas are expressed. It's arguing, you know, and this, 
This is the same word that Luke used in Luke 9.46 when it says an argument arose among them as to which of them was greatest. Remember that story? Can we see what Paul's getting at here? You know, he's, he's just finished telling us about Jesus and what Jesus did, how he lowered himself to the lowest lows and became a servant to us. And God has exalted him. He's saying we need to have that mind, that same mind of, of humility when we serve each other. If we do things with grumbling and disputing, behind the scenes, bickering, guess what? We're going in a different direction than what the direction that God has for us. Oh, and it's easy to spot this kind of behavior in other people, isn't it? But we're blind to, to our own behavior, I think. We can hide it. Many of us are real good at hiding it, but the truth always comes out eventually, doesn't it? You know, and we're all susceptible to this. We're all susceptible to selfish thinking and, and selfish behavior. You know, we, we tend to think too highly of ourselves. That's why we're told not to do that. You know, it's, it's, it's a matter of, of wanting control. You know, we all want to be in control of, of everything around us. But you know what? We need to reject that attitude. We need to denounce that, that destructive behavior in our families, in our, our churches, in our, in our workplace. Why? Paul tells us right here that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. What's he saying? He's saying, be different. Blameless. Blameless before God and man. Um, He's saying, any accusation against you will not stand. Innocent, pure, unmixed, beyond reproach. Because we're God's children. We represent him. The way we act, the way we are, our attitudes reflect on our Lord, our Father. Children of God without blemish in the midst of a a crooked and twisted generation. What do people see when they look at us? We represent him in our community. Um, You know, the world around us is, is bent and twisted and dark. That's easy to see. All you need to do is spend about one minute looking at the news. This word for uh, crooked is the Greek word uh, scolios. It's the word we get scoliosis from, you know, a, a, a bent spine. You know, the, the picture that Paul is painting here is a picture of a, a, a world marred and deformed by sin and corruption. And we need to stand out. We need to be different, brothers and sisters. A few months before we moved here, uh, Chris was involved in an automobile accident. Somebody hit her from the side. Her car was deformed. Fortunately, she made it out alive unhurt. But the glass was broken. All those plastic parts were shattered. The the metal was, was twisted. The car was totaled. They called a tow truck to come and haul this car away. It's hauled to a wrecking yard. A couple days later, 
we realized, you know, we had some stuff in that car we need to get. So we, we got permission to meet this guy who ran the wrecking yard to go get our stuff. Well, I drove my 2004 Hyundai Santa Fe with almost 3,000 miles on it. Drove it in there. We got out. We were getting Chris's stuff out. And I, I looked around at all these cars. They were just twisted, and some of them really were bad. I just thought, oh, my goodness, there's a story behind each one of these wrecks here. You know, I wonder how many people are dead even. And there was my car, my, my old car without a dent in it, white paint, nothing special. But, boy, my car looked really good. It really stood out among all those twisted wrecks. And that's kind of the picture that I, that I see here him saying, you know, we need to stand out. We, maybe we're not perfect, but we're different. We are different. Paul said, remember back in chapter one, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Now he's fleshing this out. Paul implores the Philippians earlier in chapter two to be unified, to, to have humility. You know, this, this unity needs to be apparent to those in the outside world. The community should look at the church and we should shine. You know, Paul, Paul says, uh, you know, among whom you shine as lights of the world, holding fast to the world of uh, word of life. You know, we need to, we need to shine like lights in this this dark time and this this dark place that we find ourselves ourselves living in. How do we do this? He says, holding fast to the word of life. You know, earlier Paul talks about Jesus being highly exalted, so much so that every knee one day will bow, every tongue confess that he's Lord. We read what Jesus says about himself in uh, John eight twelve, he says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So Paul, in our, our passage here, he's drawing this contrast between grumbling and complaining and being a light in this world. You know, do we do, we do good? And at the same time, argue with God or, or man? Uh, does our good attitude stand out? Do people see Jesus in us? He's the light of the world, and so are we. We need to shine. Jesus said in Matthew five fourteen through 16, you are the light of the world. So Jesus is the light of the world. We are the light of the world. He says a city on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand so that it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who's in heaven. Now consider the moon. The moon doesn't produce its own light, does it? It reflects the light of the sun, which is the source of light. You know, the moon can be amazingly bright on a dark night. In, uh, when we lived in Kalispell, there, there was an event 
uh, in Glacier National Park, before they opened up the uh, going to the Sun Road, which is the road that went to the top, before they opened that up to traffic, they opened it up one night for people to ride their bicycles up and then ride down this road at night. On a bright moonlit night, people would ride their bicycles and it, you know, they had enough light from the moon to be able to do this safely. That's pretty amazing. We need to reflect the light of the world. Jesus Christ. Consider the stars. I worked for a guy who was a retired Air Force navigator. And he was telling me that when he was trained as a navigator, one of the first things he had to learn was how to use a sextant, which is a device that uses the stars to find your position and go where you I don't know if they, if they do this anymore. Do you know, Pete? You still have to learn to use a sextant? Navy, yeah, the ship, the ship navigators do that. It's, it's an ancient device. It's been used for millennia. But think about those stars providing direction, getting people to where they need to go. That's what we need to be. We need to be those stars to provide direction. We're to hold fast to the word of life. You know, we're, we're people of the book. People of, the, of God's word, you know, holding forth that word to a, a dark and dying world. A world that needs to hear about God. It needs to hear about Jesus and his salvation. We need to hear about Jesus who, who himself is, is the living word. God's revelation, God revealing himself through Jesus Christ. We're to hold out this word to the nations about the one who came. Finally, we come to uh, affirmation. You know, Christ's affirmation, remember we read about that. He's, God has, has exalted him highly. Christ. One day will be acknowledged by all, even those who don't believe in him now, they'll, they'll know. Paul talks about how one day, on that day, he's going to stand proud because of the Philippians as they appear as faithful servants who have shined. He, he's going to know that his work was not in vain. He's, he's going to know that his work has lasting effects. His work will show eternal results. That's what he's talking about. This is really quite different from the work we do on earth many times. When I, when I did software development, uh, I worked hard. Sometimes I, I would wake up in the middle of the night and, and wrestle with problems in my mind, you know, coming up with com- complex solutions to, to problems, and it felt good to solve those problems. But I knew in the back of my mind, in two years, this is going to be obsolete. It's going to be sitting on a shelf or or thrown away. No tangible, lasting results whatsoever. You know, at least when I worked on houses, I knew that uh, there, you know, somebody years from now would be enjoying my work. So I've worked in 
probably several hundred houses over my lifetime, long time ago. And people are still enjoying that. But you know what? Those are going to be gone someday too. Isn't that the nature of our work? We we clean carpets just to see them soiled in, in the next week or two. We... Uh, yeah, we produce food, and when, once it's eaten, it's forgotten. You know, the writer of Ecclesiastes says it, doesn't he? He says, uh, vanity, vanity, all's vanity, it's all vain. It's pretty negative, huh? But Paul's speaking here of something totally different. Totally different. This is imperishable fruit. These are things of everlasting consequence, uh, the r- results that are going to endure for eternity. You know, his his labor has involved suffering. He was he was beaten. He was imprisoned. He was left for dead. Uh, but he speaks of his life as a sacrifice to God, being poured out like a drink offering. Mingled with the faith of the uh, the Philippians, what a beautiful picture that is! Something that's pleasing to to God, a, a sweet smelling savor for for the Lord. And he sees his own suffering not as a, a thing of regret, but a thing of eternal affirmation. You know, a, a thing of rejoicing. Paul's joyful about his suffering. We need we need to keep looking at Jesus. Looking to him as Paul does in this passage, he suffered and died. And you know, the world would, would think of Jesus as, as a failure. The world would say, well, this, this guy, he came, he thought he, he thought he knew what was going on. He thought he had the answers and look what happened to him. They killed him. He died. But... We don't see him that way. He rose from the dead and he's glorified now. His plans were never dashed. We know that what happened to him was according to the eternal purpose of God. We are the fruit of his suffering. So Paul sees the Philippians as as the fruit of his suffering. And just as Paul spoke of Christ's eternal affirmation. He sees affirmation himself in this crown of righteousness where the Lord on that day will look at him and say, well done, good and faithful servant. That's what I want to hear when I face my Lord on, on that day. Um, don't we all? Let's, let's determine to finish well. Let's determine to finish well. Well, as we wrap it up, uh, again, these, these verses in chapter 2, they're, they're all about Jesus. They're all about him and how we must conduct our lives uh, in the light of his lordship. His obedience demands our obedience. His attitude is the attitude that we must take on as our own. And his affirmation will in the day of Christ lead to our own affirmation between or before him. This is all quite a challenge for us. We, all we can do is look for him who gives us the power even to will, even to desire to do good, but also to do good, to do good works. 
And so as Christ laid down his life for us, what should our response be other than to give ourselves completely to him and to lay down our lives for others in love? Let's pray. Um, Lord Jesus, you've, you've given us the, the perfect example. I pray, Lord, that we would take this scripture to heart. Lord, that we would determine to follow you in your obedience, in your attitude. And Lord, on that, on that day, on that day, Lord, our, our affirmation will be there because of you. You promised you would be with us always. And you gave us the Holy Spirit to, to empower us. And it's for your glory, Lord. For your glory, let us let us shine, Lord, as lights in this this dark world. Uh, let us be people who point the way to you. We pray this in your precious name, Jesus. Amen.